Welcome to Bible Study Today. This is Len standing in for Nick again, who's been interstate. And we are in studying this quarter, the Book of Acts. And this is the fifth study. And it mostly comes from Acts 9, with a couple of bits from Acts 22 and 26. In our last study, from chapters 6 to 8, we learned about the establishment of a group of deacons who were to look after the physical needs of the members of the newly formed apostolic church. Stephen, a man of wisdom and filled with the Holy Spirit, was one of the outstanding ones. Because of his witness about Christ, he was arrested and stood trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin. There he gave a powerful testimony. The members of the Sanhedrin were so enraged that Stephen exalted Jesus that they stoned him to death. Thus began wholesale Jewish persecution of the Christians, many of whom fled to surrounding areas, particularly Samaria. With the refugees went the gospel message, and the church rapidly grew in numbers because of the witness of the refugees. Today, we see a remarkable new development in the spread of the gospel. So, Stephen, would you mind reading Acts 9, verses 1 and 2? And then I want to ask you, who was this main character mentioned in those verses? Sure, Len. Let's just have a little prayer before we start. Our Father God, we just pause and thank you for the stories of the Bible. And we thank you for the stories that we find in Acts, and particularly today's story about Saul. Pray, Lord, as we um, share together uh, as a group, that um, the things that we share and discover together will be of help to us all. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Verse 1 starts off with, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So who was this Saul? Well, Saul was a really interesting character. Um, as you read through the New Testament, you find that he gives lots of little insights into his past and into who he is. But essentially on this occasion, his responsibility was to go and sort out these Christians who, from the point of view of those who were in charge of the Jewish church, were causing lots of trouble. And um, so he goes to the high priest and he asks for letters, and then he is sent to Damascus to deal with the Christians in Damascus. In the King James Version, mm -hmm. the expression is that Saul was breathing out threatenings and slaughter. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't sound very good, does it? My NIV version says breathing out murderous threats. So they come down to the same thing, which means essentially he's going out there to... Um, collect these believers and perhaps even put them to death. I like the expression breathing out. Me too. It's almost like every breath that he takes when he breathes out, it's with uh, danger in his, even his, in his air mm. as it's, he's exhaling. He was very zealous. Yes. As you said, he was breathing out these things. He was very zealous in what he was doing. Yes. You That's know? right. And they weren't, by the way, they weren't just threats, are they? He was carrying them out. Okay, so having obtained the letters, 
from the high priests and whoever was necessary there, he was heading off to Damascus. What happened, Helen? An amazing, amazing story. It tells me in the Bible, chapter 9, verses 3 and 4, I'm reading from the King James Version. And it says here, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? So here we have Saul, religious fanatic, zealous, henchman, whatever you want to call him. And he's on his way to Damascus to kill, to persecute. And suddenly, I love that word suddenly, suddenly there shone around him a light. Now, I don't believe for one minute it was just a vision. In, in looking into this, I believe that those that were with him, and there was a group with him, they were traveling together, they also saw a light. They didn't see a form, they saw a light. They also heard a noise. They didn't understand it, but Saul did. And here was a time when he came literally face to face with his Lord, mm. our Lord Jesus Christ. That is just an amazing, an, an amazing um, story. Here he was, the very one that he was persecuting, and he was brought face to face with him. Yes. Now, if you read the next verse, Helen, verse mm -hmm. 5 of chapter 9, what did Saul then say? I think it's interesting that Saul said these words, Who art thou, Lord? Yes. Now, it could be that he called him Lord out of awe, out of respect. It could be because he had heard um, the disciples speaking about their Lord. It could mean a number of things. But straight away, he recognized that this was the Son of God, that this was Jesus. Yeah. I believe he recognized him as such. Do you agree with that, Stephen? Yeah, I do, that actually. He, that, yeah. I do agree with that. Yes, you can take it as, like, he recognized that this was a person of higher authority and used Lord as in, like, a lowercase mm. L. Mm. But it seems to me the way the story goes that it's better to understand that he's looking at this as a capital L Lord, as in the Lord Jesus. Mm. Yeah. And I, you, know, you look at the story and think, well, why was there a sudden change? And maybe it was because of the events that we talked about last week um, in regards to the stoning of Stephen. Um, that maybe some things just started to percolate in his brain and maybe we don't know for sure but maybe that was working its way in the background and suddenly when he's confronted with um, this light and these words on the road to Damascus he suddenly puts the two things together. Mm, I don't believe it was just an ordinary light you know we, we think of the word light and we switch on the light and we think oh yes well that was a bit bright but mm. I believe like you that when Stephen saw the glory there was the light and I believe that this is what um, what Saul came face to face with, the glory of, of Christ. It's interesting, isn't it? Saul, the, the persecutor, the Pharisee, on his way to persecute and imprison Christians, take them back to Jerusalem, where they most likely lose their lives, he has this experience on the road to Damascus. I think, Len, we've got to remember that when he was persecuting Saul, I believe, he himself believed he was doing God's work. Yeah. Getting rid of this um, new group that had come in, and he believed he was actually doing the right thing. And we too can be in that situation. Sometimes we believe we're on the right track. And then God... Um, could well bring something into your life where you have to take a back step and say, whoa, whoa, I really need to come to see what the Lord believes in this and what he wants me to do. Mm. Seems strange, doesn't it, that his reply was, who art thou, Lord? 
Why would you say that, strange, Harvey? Well, I suppose when you have an experience like that, um, you'd have to say, who's speaking? You know, it, it's come on suddenly. There's other issues here too, um, but we'll come to that a little bit shortly. But the thing is, he was not, he had not had that sort of experience before, and so there's always a question in your mind. Who is it that's talking to me? And, uh, of course, he was identified. Yeah. And so who did the Lord reveal himself to be? Well, if you read in Acts 9, verses 5 and 6, it says, Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, it's an amazing thing that immediately he realised who he was talking to and it became significant to, to Saul instantly. And he thought, I have to do something that I have not been doing. I have to change. It became an instant change for Saul. Yeah, it was. It was a re remarkable change. Here he was, the uh, spearhead, if you like, for the uh, Jewish religion to go and arrest these Christians and try to get rid of them. And now he's confronted with the same Lord. We talk, Len, we talk about the fact this bright light came. Now, I'm not surprised that this bright light actually blinded him. Um, anybody that's had experience with welding, electric welding, for instance, mm -hmm. you can, and it's painful if you get what we call a flash burn in the eyes. And if it was there for any length of time, guaranteed you'll be blinded by it. Um, usually it's only a flash, so you get it only momentarily, but it's very painful. And I suspect it was a bit like that. The flash was so bright that it instantly blinded him, and the only way it was going to be fixed was, in fact, we know as a miracle. Yes, actually get burning in the back of the retina, and, uh, yeah, that has to heal before people would see and uh, it doesn't take it doesn't happen straight away now in acts the story of the conversion of saul is recorded by the uh, gospel writer luke but paul tells his own story in a couple of other places and on one occasion he was speaking in front of king agrippa and we can read about this in acts 26 verses 9 to 18. Stephen, would you mind reading that for us? That's no trouble. So Acts 26 verse 9 starts, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Thank you very much. Harvey, one of the expressions used there, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks or kick against the goads. What does that mean? Goads were a pointed stick, we could say, a sharp stick that was used when trying to herd cattle. You'd give them a prod with it so that it would move them along. It still can be used today um, and possibly is. Maybe we use other things today as well. But if you kick against it, all you do is damage to yourself <laughs> and it hurts more so that it's not a good idea to be doing kicking against something that is going to do you even more damage if you kick against it. That's right, yes, you just think of uh, perhaps some cattle or could even be horses, but I think it refers to cattle here, um, who are harnessed up, pulling a plough or something like that, and you give them a poke with the cattle goad and they give a kick, but it doesn't do any good, and in some cases they might kick against the goat and hurt themselves. Sometimes I think now they use electricity even. Mm. Oh, yeah, I believe they use that in some whips in racehorses, but it's illegal, I believe. <laughs> Helen, what did you want to say? No, I was just interested in what you guys were saying about the cattle, not having actually experienced any of that. I, I just found that very interesting. Okay. Mm. Well, I know you've got something to say here, Stephen. Yeah, there's an interesting note um, that I'd like to share with you. It says, Saul had taken a prominent part in the trial and conviction of Stephen and the striking evidences of God's presence with the martyr had led Saul to doubt the righteousness of the cause he had espoused against the followers of Jesus. His mind was deeply stirred. In his perplexity, he appealed to those in whose wisdom and judgment he had full confidence. The arguments of the priests and rulers finally convinced him that Stephen was a blasphemer that the Christ whom the martyred disciple had preached was an imposter and that those ministering in holy office must be right. Now, can we learn something from this experience from Saul that we've heard about so far today? Well, I think so. I think that this guy is a smart man. Like, he's, he's a very intelligent guy. If you read anything about Saul's life in the Bible, it becomes very clear that he was very wise. The fact that he was one of Gamaliel's disciples, to start with, suggests that this guy is very clever very understanding of the Bible. He has um, very good knowledge and very good ways of applying it. So he's a bright spark, to put it bluntly. And um, so I think that as he's observing all the things that have been going on around him and been involved in the responsibilities that he had been appointed to by the Sanhedrin, he's thinking and thinking both consciously and unconsciously. And finally, the penny drops for him a little bit. And then he has this experience on the road to Damascus. I think we talked about, I talked mm. about this before. Mm. Yes. 
I think in fighting too, um, Saul was obviously fighting with his, his own conscience, very much so. But I think too, people around would have been fighting with, with what Saul was saying. You know, was he actually to be believed when he had had that vision? You know, when he was he to be, be believed. I'm reminded, and I wanted to bring this up before, and I didn't. I'm sorry. In that Gam- Gamaliel, is that how you say his name? Gamaliel. Um, he said some interesting words back in Acts five thirty eight and thirty nine. He said, "If it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest haply you be found even to fight against God." And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go but he was saying if it be of god you know refrain from these men let them alone for if this counsel or this work be of men it will not it will come to naught Mm. and i think sometimes we tend to do that too we want to say oh no this cannot be of god yeah yes if god's behind it who's going to stop it that's exactly right gamaliel or gamaliel as i like to pronounce it had to say to his fellow jews and he was a great authority as far as the Jews were concerned. He was one of the members of the Sanhedrin. And yet what he spoke about or how he spoke to them was really very um, wise. Mm. If you if it's God's plan, it'll succeed. Yeah. If it's not his plan, it's going to die out anyway. I wonder if um, Saul studied under Gamaliel. If he did, he may have actually heard those very that very a very similar statement to what you were just saying there. I believe I read somewhere that he did, yeah, he did. study under Camellia. Yeah, yes. yeah. So on the Damascus Road, uh, it wasn't just Saul alone on horseback or by himself. He had travelling companions. What does Acts 9 verses 7 to 9 say about what happened with the travelling companions? It says, And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. A text that was read a little bit earlier, also when um, back in, in, not back, but in Acts 26, it said that they all fell down when the light occurred. It wasn't just Paul that fell down, but it was the group with him. But it was obviously being directed more at Saul than it was at the rest of the group. And when it says he looked and saw no one, it wasn't because no one was there. It was because he suddenly couldn't see. Yes, it's kind of interesting how he can't see uh, at the end of the experience um, and they can't see during the whole experience, and they end up leading him to Damascus. There's kind of like a little bit of a, almost like a little wordplay thing going on there, isn't there? Yes. They heard it. They heard something, but they didn't hear what it was. Mm. They didn't know what they heard. Yeah. Now we can speculate. Was it in a language that they didn't understand? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But um, you know, there's probably something we can draw from this. All right, well, let's move on. Sometimes the Lord works in our life and we are we are having that battle ourselves that nobody knows what's going on in our mind and our hearts. And, you know, they, other people may not be aware of it, but we're being led yes. by the Lord to commit. As as in the case of Saul, I mean, I, I read in, in chapter 22, verse 9, it said, And they that were with me indeed 
saw, saw indeed the light and were afraid. So they saw something, but they weren't aware what it was. Yeah. And, and also in hearing the voice, there was a sound, but they didn't know what it was. Yet for Saul... He did, and he was anguishing about that. So people around us may not necessarily know where we're at no. you know, in our journey with the Lord. And likewise, we may not know where others' journey is. That's right. I'm sure there time. are times when um, people that are looking for something, looking for, for a reason for life and all this sort of thing, making decisions that are really important decisions, we can even say eternal decisions, mm that other people may not realise what's going on in the mind of somebody. Yeah. And yet it can be a very personal thing and even though it may be within a group, a person may have an entirely different experience than those that are around about them mm. because it's being directed specifically at a person like it was this time with, with Saul. It wasn't being directed to those around about him. They were affected by it, but they did not understand what was going on. But it was very clear that Saul understood what was going on and that it was being directed at him. Mm. Yes, well, when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus at night, he was talking about the Holy Spirit, and he said the wind goes where it wants to go and so on. And it's a bit like this. It wasn't, uh, in this case, a general conversion. It was to Saul because it appears that his heart was ready to receive. I think so. And, and as I read the story, it strikes me that um, God really had a plan and a purpose for this man's life. And he was going to, he was going to get him. If I'm, if, can I say that? Is that okay? He was really keen to have Saul. And he made a special effort. And as I reflect on that, it strikes me that he's actually really keen to get us all. Um, and he does make special efforts with each of us, and the fact that he makes a special effort with Saul becomes kind of a, what's the word, a, um, a parallel for everybody's life. Yeah. It's interesting. I look back over my own life and think about some of the peers I grew up with. A lot of those did not give their hearts to the Lord, and I don't know why. They heard the same stuff as I heard and read the same stuff as I read, but their response was different than mine. Hmm. Helen, at another time, uh, Saul, <laughs> whose name was later changed to Paul, he gave his testimony to a crowd at Jerusalem where he added some more detail. Would you mind reading Acts chapter 22 and just the first bit of verse 10? Okay, he actually did ask this same question back in Acts 9 where it said, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will they have me to do? But in this in this um, occasion, it was almost like um, like he was even more determined to do what God wanted to do. He was sharing with other people. And he said, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? Very personal, isn't it? Mm. What, not, not what am I going to get, what are you going to get Stephen to do or Len or Harvey, but what, Lord, what, what am I to do? And, and I think that was indicative too of where Saul was at. By the time he got to this place, I believe that he was very, very willing and prepared to carry out God's will. Yes. Yes, it showed a, a willingness and a decision. Mm. He'd made a decision to do what he was asked to do. So, Stephen, the Lord actually told him, Acts chapter 22, verse 10 to 13, tells us what that is. So what were the Lord's instructions? Well, they're pretty straightforward. 
Uh, Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Yeah, it's a bit like, uh, almost like a treasure hunt, isn't it? Now, the next point, go to the next point, and there you will receive further instructions. That's exactly right. I think it's interesting how right there at the very beginning, at that moment when he has his Damascus Road experience, um, Saul, who was also known as Paul, later says um, that he is assigned to do something. Notice it's, get up, said the Lord, and go into Damascus, there will be told all that you have been assigned to do. Yes. So he was under assignment from the Jewish Sanhedrin to go and sort out these believers, and now he's going to be under assignment to go and, as we find out later as we read through Acts, to go and share who Jesus is with other people, and primarily with those who are Gentiles. Yeah. So Saul was taken to Ananias, and... Ananias wasn't too sure about this guy because he'd heard that he was a persecutor and the rest of it. So what instructions did the Lord give through Ananias, Helen? Well, we're told in the same chapter in uh, verses 14 to 16, it says, And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldst hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise, or as Stephen said, get up, and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So what did he have to do? Well, he was given his commission, wasn't he? He was to be a witness to everybody and to do to get up and do it quickly. God had chosen him, and he said, be baptized, wash away your sins, and call on the name of the Lord. Mm. Yes, well, baptism signifies commitment. Um, Harvey, how did Ananias know that... Can I just jump in here, Lynn? Yeah, sure. I'm I'm seeing that word, and now why tarriest thou? There might be someone that's listening this morning, and listener, you may be tarrying in your commitment towards towards God, and you may be being led by the Holy Spirit right now to give your heart to him. My statement to you is the same. Why tarriest thou Mm. arise and be baptized yeah so harvey how did ananias know that saul was coming well in acts 9 verses 11 and 12 it says so the lord said to him arise and go to the street called straight and inquire at the house of judas for one called saul of tarsus for behold he is praying And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So Ananias received a vision, a direct vision, and a statement from God to say what he had to do. Yes. Now, uh, Helen, in chapter 9, verse 13, it uh, speaks about Ananias and his reaction to this vision. What was it that? Well, I think he was pretty horrified, as any of us would be. 
you know, he he was saying, but but Lord, I, I've heard about this man. I know how much evil that he has done. I know how he's persecuted the saints in Jerusalem. You know, can, can this be right? In, I guess Ananias was sort of saying, well, well, God, is this really right? Is this what you want me to do? This man, I've had bad reports. Yeah. It's like saying, well, uh, Lord, I'm not too sure if you're, uh, you've got it straight here. He's the enemy. He's not a friend, and you're asking me to go to him. So he questioned God. Mm. Now, to bring it to our day and age, is it okay for us to question God? What do you think? Well, I think it's not only okay. I think we need to put our questions to God. I'm reminded of Habakkuk. I think he's a, a great prophet, and I, I actually got a lot of encouragement when I started to read Habakkuk. There he was, a prophet of God, actually challenging God. You know, God, why is it taking so long? What, you know, when are you going to act? And it was interesting, God's response to, Anna, to Habakkuk was, you know, you don't see the whole picture. I'm paraphrasing here. You don't see the whole picture. Come on up the mountain. Come and see it from my perspective, Habakkuk. And, and he did. And it was totally different. And, and I think that's, that for me is encouragement. There are times when in my life where I've actually thrown things out at God too. And, and I would wonder, was it right or wrong to question God? But then God comes back with an answer. And I know that he understood my question. Well, the, the interesting thing with Habakkuk was, of course, was that not only did he question God, why aren't you doing something? When he began to do or when God told him what he was going to do, Habakkuk said, I'm not sure that's a very good idea. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so he questions God's um, inactivity, and then he questions God's activity. But you know, it's interesting. God didn't say, zap, you're done. No. Whoa, how dare you talk to me like that? God doesn't do that. He says, come, let us reason together. Yeah, well, you're, you know? there's so many of the prophets question yes. what God wants to do. Mm. Look at Jonah, you know. He didn't run off to um, where he ran off to because he didn't. Um, he was afraid to do what God wanted him to do. He was perfectly brave enough to do it. He just didn't want to do it because he didn't want to have any chance for those for whom he was going to act exactly to, to repent. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when they did and God withheld his activity, Jonah got very cross with God. How long-suffering is our God? He's wonderful. Mm -hmm. There's a number of Psalms, actually, where that we have in Scripture which really says, why is it happening? Mm. Why isn't it happening? Or why is it happening? And... Uh, so the questioning of God is certainly something we shouldn't shy away from as long as that questioning isn't saying, I don't agree with what you're saying, mm. but why are you saying it? You know, you could ask the question as to why. Um, and if God in his own way wants to give you the full story, that's fine. If he doesn't, we'd be a bit like Abraham. Abraham was said, told to go to a place that he'd never been before and even though he probably had lots of questions, he got up and went. Mm. So I'd like to just add, if I may, um, when I first came to know the Lord and things happened in my life, I would say, why? Why, Lord? Why is this happening? Why? And I had a lot of whys, I might add. Through the years in this wonderful journey that the Lord's brought me on, it's interesting now that I don't tend to say, why is this trouble happening or why has this happened to me? I tend now to say, why not? 
And the reason for that is I look over my life and I see the things that have happened in my life that I may not have enjoyed at the time. God has allowed me to use them in a ministry for other people. Mm. And so I guess now I'm not saying the whys. I'm saying why not? Yeah. So Ananias did as he was told. And when he opened his mouth, Helen, what did... What was the first words he said to Saul? Okay, scripture tells me here in Acts 9, I think it is. Am I in the right place here? Yes, yes. Acts 9. 9.17. Um, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered into the, the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul. I can go on there, but let me just <laughs> stop there for a minute. Brother Saul. He was Ananias who'd heard all these bad reports of the evilness that this man had committed. And here he was using the word, brother Saul. Interesting, isn't it? Well, I think it was because the Lord had revealed to him that Saul was one of God's people. And who was Ananias to question it at this stage? Mm. So what happened then? Well, he went on saying, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou might receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And verse 18 says, And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. The very thing that he was told to do, he actually went and did, didn't he? Immediately. Yeah, mm. yeah. Stephen, what did you want to say about this? Um, I just got a little note here that I think is quite helpful. It says, yet what Ananias did not know was that Saul had just had a personal encounter with Jesus that had changed his life forever. He did not know that. Instead of still working for the Sanhedrin, Saul, to Ananias' astonishment, just had been called by Jesus to work for him, which means that Saul was no longer an apostle of the Sanhedrin, but Jesus chose an instrument to take the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles. Yeah. So Saul was God's chosen one. That's interesting. Can I just jump in there? Apostle of the Sanhedrin. Yeah. How interesting is that? He was mm. firstly an apostle of the Sanhedrin, and then he was to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think that's a, 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 a wonderful contrast, yeah. isn't it? So after Saul's baptism and conversion... He went back to Jerusalem. What happened there, Harvey? Well, we read in Acts 22, verses 17 to 21. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord... They know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I'll send you far from here to the Gentiles. So here, I suppose we could say Paul was, or Saul at this stage still, I think, he was given his commission. Mm. This is what you're going to do. You're going to be my representative to the Gentiles. That's, that's your basic role from now on. It also indicates, too, that when a person uh, comes to the Lord and is baptised, 
It doesn't mean to say the good relationships they had with people beforehand are going to stay, and quite often it works the other way. The once friends may become enemies. Well, Saul the persecutor became Paul the apostle, a Christian. He had turned from imprisoning people on behalf of the Jews to setting people free on behalf of the Lord. What a change. And panel, what brought about that change? I think we could put it in a nutshell by saying he had a personal encounter mm. with with Jesus. And I believe that's what true conversion really is, a personal encounter with Jesus. Um, it leads to a new life. It leads to a new relationship with him. And we saw that in the life of um, Paul. Yeah. yeah. I, I also think that um, you might remember back in the story of, of at the beginning of, of Acts, where they waited for the Holy Spirit to come. And so once the Holy Spirit arrived at the Pentecost, or the time of Pentecost, um, we entered the age of the Holy Spirit and his activity. And the Holy Spirit's primary job is to convict convict the world about a whole bunch of stuff. And if you read John chapter 16, it talks about how the Holy Spirit's role is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the first, and the big sin is, it says here, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the big sin is because people do not believe in me. And this is Jesus speaking. And so the Holy Spirit's primary job is to convict the world of the sin of not believing in Jesus. And so when Paul was there on that road to Damascus, it wasn't just a voice that he heard, but the Spirit was active in his life and probably had been already for quite some time. And the process of what happened there convicted him of the sin of not believing in Jesus. So he became a believer and his life was changed. Yeah, it's interesting, Stephen. I haven't actually thought of that as it being a sin not to believe in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I haven't heard it in that way. That's yeah, interesting. That's, 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 what worth, in that's 16, worth meditating yeah. about. Mm. Yeah. Well, really, when you think mm. about it, the activity of the Holy Spirit in any person's life leads to their conviction to uh, serve the Lord. Now, this was a very dramatic conversion. Do we have things like that happening these days? Have you heard of anybody who's been converted so very quickly like this? Anybody got any uh, anecdotes you could share with us today? Yeah, I've got a, a, a couple. I think I'll start with a story that I read when I was a child. When I was a kid, I used to get all these books. I, I loved to read. And um, I remember reading about um, uh, Christians in the Soviet Union back before the Iron Curtain fell. And um, I remember reading about a man called Sergei Kortikov. I used to always say Kortikov, but I'm sure that's not exactly how you pronounce his name. But he was busy persecuting Christians. And by the end of the story, he had become a Christian. It was quite an amazing story. I can't remember all the details, but I remember being really quite emotionally affected as I read the story and being amazed at the massive transformation in this guy's life. Do so you know how he became transformed? By the influence of the people that he was giving the hard time to and by the, the faith that they maintained in the face of his attacks on them, um, both um, in word and in phys physical attacks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Not everybody, though, Lynn, not, can I just add, not everybody has such a dramatic experience. No. Sometimes it's a quietness that God breaks into our life and draws our attention to something. Mm. And, yes, it could well be the influence of someone else, 
that that um, we are drawn to the Lord because did not the Lord say that if I be lifted up I will draw all men unto me mm. and not only the fact that he was lifted up on the cross but when we lift him up in our actions in our speech in our whole mannerisms are we not doing exactly that are we not leading people to be drawn to him yeah, yeah. now Saul was well-educated man been educated in uh, Jewish law and all that sort of thing uh, in Galatians chapter 1 verses 1 11 and 12 it tells where Paul or Saul or Paul we're not too sure when the transition of his name occurred where did he learn all about the way of salvation through Jesus well Galatians 1 verse 1 says Paul an apostle sent not from men nor by a man but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead so that tells us what he is doing and then verse 11 and 12 they say the following I want you to know brothers and sisters that the gospel I preached is not of human origin I did not receive it from any man nor was I taught it rather I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ so he is an apostle chosen by Jesus he in one other part, Paul says, out of time, because all the other apostles were chosen when Jesus was alive on earth, whereas um, Paul was chosen as apostle when Jesus was alive in heaven. Um, he received his commissioning, and then the one who commissioned him gave him the understanding of the gospel, yeah. which is pretty pretty outrageous, really. Well, it certainly uh, didn't get anything wrong then, because he got it right from the master's mouth. That's right. Like Harvey. So when Paul commenced his work for the Lord, where did he go? Well, it says that he, he spent some time with the disciples at Damascus. That's in verse 19 of chapter 9. And it goes on, Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogue, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on, the na on this name in Jerusalem? and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus proving that this Jesus is the Christ so he could say that he actually began his work right there in Damascus mm. it's amazing how quick he did it like he's blinded for three days or thereabouts yeah three days and then he receives his sight. He has a few days of discussions with the people, and then bang, he's up preaching in the in the yeah. synagogues. He he doesn't muck around, does he? No. Like no. once he's on board, he's in boots and all, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I think it's interesting though that yes, he gave his testimony straight away, and I believe that's what we need to do. But there was a growth that needed to happen as well, um, and we haven't mentioned it yet, but. Oh, I think, did you mention it before about going to Arabia, Stephen? Yes. You did. Yes, where he had that time alone with, with God. All right. Well, how did, how did these... Uh, sorry, Harvey. Yeah, sorry. I was just thinking that we um, Stephen used the word boots and all. Um, Paul was a bit like that, wasn't he? He was a boots and all person. He said he even described himself as being a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Yep. And he was very strong and he was learned and when he did something, he did it boots and all. He was in 100%. Yeah. 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 And, and it's after this 
first initial talk in Damascus that he gives after his conversion experience, it's then that he heads off to Arabia mm. for, a, a, mm. for yes, I think it's three years, isn't it? Mm. That's right. And does his study and reflection and all the rest of it, and then he comes back and and really has, mm. that's when the boots and all, as yes. Harvey and I have said, really kicks into play. Mm-hmm. So Helen, when he was preaching to these Jews at Samaria, how did they react? Wow, pretty violently actually. Um, reading in scripture in Acts 9 verse 23, it says to me, and after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him, which is interesting because originally he was loved by the Jews and hated by the Christians or persecuting the Christians. And then here he was like a turncoat. He then became hated by the Jews and loved by the Christians. Yeah. And and it's it's very interesting to see that turn around and he, the persecutor, suddenly became the persecuted. Yes. It's rather remarkable, I think, that the Lord saw in Saul someone who would be such a faithful missionary for him. But the interesting thing is, I believe the Lord sees possibilities in every person. And I've heard of the most unlikely people who've been faithful missionaries and done a wonderful work for the Lord. Now, I said yes before, but I should have said yes a little later because Stephen, referring back to Galatians 1, where Paul stated that Jesus revealed to him what he must preach, he said where he went. Would you like to just enlighten us about this? Yeah, verse 13 of Galatians 1 says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Is that as far as you want me to go, Len? Uh, yes, that'll do. Why do you go to Arabia? <clears throat> is there any advantage in going to Arabia? Well, all I can think of is that it's... Well, I've never been to Arabia, but I'm, I'm imagining there's lots of desert there. So if there's lots of desert, there's going to be a lot of people, so there's going to have a lot of time to have personal, quiet reflection. And personal, quiet reflection has its time and its place. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting that in that text that Stephen read out... He even says, really, the Lord called him from his mother's womb. Yeah. Even though he obviously didn't recognise it until later. Yeah. But he's he's sort of indicating that God had me lined up right from the start. Yeah. So in Arabia, with probably no people around, uh, this applies to us these days too, Helen. Isn't it an advantage to be alone with God? Absolutely. I I think there are times that we need to come apart before we come apart. I think we have so many distractions uh, around us in the world today, particularly. I I believe it is necessary, very necessary, to take that time alone with God, switch off all our appliances, just you and God together. Mm. Um, I I was just sharing with Stephen before we came on air that um, I've just gone through a couple of days of what appears to be the flu. But last night I had, uh, was it Stephen or was it Lynn? I'm not sure who I was sharing this this with. But last night I had the most amazing um, quiet time with the Lord. And I just reveled in that time with him. 
and and I believe that we need that to strengthen us in in our daily walk. I, I'm reminded of others, especially our great example, and that's Jesus. Jesus took many many times where he would come apart and spend time with his God. He wasn't just coming apart and resting and not thinking about anything. He was in constant communion with the Father. Moses caring for Jethro's sheep. Remember, he went out into the as a shepherd 40 years out there had to undo some of the things of his previous life and and maybe that's needed in our us elijah at the brook at cherith needed time out as well and i have to tell you that the time that i have come out and been with the lord has been such a blessed blessed time for me mm. i would recommend it to anybody mm. and to everybody now this is perhaps a silly analogy but i had trouble with one of my computers and I took it down to the computer man because it wasn't doing things that it should have. And he said, have you shut it down lately? Uh, no, I just keep putting it to sleep. But he said, you need to shut it down now and again. And I thought, what a good analogy for us spiritually to just shut everything else out of our lives and spend time with the Lord. Amen. What about the Sabbath? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think that, I guess... I haven't got much authority for this, but I think, that's always dangerous, isn't it? But I think that um, that the Sabbath can be a time for quiet reflection, but I think its primary purpose is for a time of being in community with others. So um, for me, Sabbath is primarily about coming together to worship God with those who would wish to worship on that day. And then perhaps there might be occasions when you might choose to withdraw yourself for a time, but primarily I think Sabbath is for community and family. Yeah. Um, okay. That would be my 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 view of these things. If you it's, read the Ten Commandments, it certainly seems to imply that everybody who was with you in your household should be resting and enjoying the benefit of it. So it's, it seems to suggest a time of family and community rather than a time of separate aloneness. But I, I think, guess there are times when you can Sorry, do that. Stephen, I was going to say, let's take that a step further. It is a period of worship, isn't it? Mm. And And it is community, as you say, but God wants to be in that community. He said, I want to dwell with you. Mm. And especially on the Sabbath. Would you not agree? Yeah, well, that's the whole yes. point. If you're going to come together for worship, who are you worshipping? Obviously not yourself. It's going to be God. Hmm. Sorry, Lane, you wanted to speak? No, uh, I wanted you to speak. Oh, okay. Um, I'm, I'd like to go back to Paul's original target when he left Jerusalem with letters from the high priest was the Jewish believers who had presumably sought refuge in the synagogues of Damascus. Now, after coming back from Arabia, he finally made it himself into the synagogues, not to arrest believers, but to increase their number, not to slander Jesus as an imposter, but to present him as the Messiah of Israel. What must have gone on in the minds of those who, having heard of him only as one of their persecutors, now hear him witness about Jesus? What could they do but marvel at what sort of Tarsus had become and at what he was now doing for the church? Mm. What an amazing witness and influence he must have had. Yeah. And may I also add there too, we also have an amazing witness and um, influence on people when we give our hearts to the Lord and they see the change. Mm. Harvey, in Acts 9.26, it tells what Saul or Paul, probably call him Paul from here on, uh, did then. It says, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples but they were afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. He'd been away, even though he'd been away for quite a while. Um, they'd almost 
forgotten the call that had been indicated and they just thought well is is it true is it, is he really one of us and they would think of the bad things that he did prior to his call and they were yeah. uh, quite nervous about him is he is he real or is he a terrorist yeah. <laughs> terrorists come back but something happened in his favor yes he he had a uh encounter with another person we call Barnabas, we know as Barnabas and it, Barnabas was the one that intervened on his behalf to the apostles and said yes he's definitely one of us yeah, yeah. and probably gave a testimony of what Paul had been doing yeah, so Helen uh, in Acts 9 verses 27 and 28 we hear what Barnabas actually had to say I believe that Barnabas fully accepted Paul's conversion because he was affirming it in front of these people. He was saying, um, it says here, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him, how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus, and he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Right. And so what resulted from all this? Well, let me just mention that um, speaking boldly in the name of Jesus, and and he he went through all the churches, um, churches through Judea and Galilee and Samaria heard about him. It says in Scripture that they were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And I love the next two two um, words here. It said, "were multiplied." Mm. So it, it the the church grew. Exponentially, yes. it just yeah. grew, and it wasn't it? just numerically. It says he was edified, which means yes. they were built up. So that means he increased yeah. the faith of the people who heard yeah. him, and also built up the numbers of the people who heard him. So his ministry was was kind of twofold. It was expansion and depth. Absolutely fantastic thought. Thanks. Dan. So we read uh, from those texts in Acts nine verses twenty eight to thirty one about when. Paul was in discussion with the Grecian Jews. Um, They weren't too happy with him. Stephen, would you like to tell us a bit more about this? Well, verse 29 says, He talked and debated with the Grecian or Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. So obviously he was very good at what he did. I've always discussed... It's interesting, you listen to people debating and discussing amongst each other. And if it gets really heated and one side isn't doing so well, they usually end up moving towards personal attack. And um, the personal attack that happened here was such that they decided they were going to have him eliminated, um, which just shows you how effective and um, amazing he was in presenting the gospel and in debate. Okay, and in Acts chapter 9 verse 30, it records what the church leaders decided to do with Paul. And what was that? Well, they brought him to Caesarea, didn't they? And they also sent him forth to Tarsus. So they gave him work. Yeah. Yeah. But they sent him away. Yes, they well, from that's Jerusalem. Correct. They sent him away because he was he was uh, had a threat against him for a start. The hunter became the hunted. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. The threaten uh, the threatener became the threatened. It looks like they've sent him home because, of course, Tarsus is where he came from in the first place. So it's like he's come full circle. Yes. He was he was arguing with the Grecians at the time and they decided that they wanted to get rid of him. Mm. Okay. So I guess that's where the church intervened. 
Yes. You mentioned this a little bit earlier, uh, that the church grew, grew in number, grew in strength. And with the ministry of all the disciples, including Paul, what happened with the spread of the gospel? Well, it says in verse 31 of Acts 9, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. It's a wonderful story to read about the conversion of this anti-Christian man who became not just a pro-Christian man, but he became a Christian man. And uh, we've heard various expressions about the intensity of his Christianity. Boots and all was one I heard. He was right there. And uh, the Christian church spread around the world, partly as a result of what Paul did. And I believe God has blessed many people through the ministry of this man. Now, we've come to the end of the time. Um, do you have a take-home message for the listeners today? Anybody? Yeah, I've got a whole bunch, actually. <laughs> but let's just stick with two. The first one is that God can use even those who are most opposed to him. Mm. And we often don't think of that. Sometimes you're inclined to think, oh, that person's never going to be interested. Look at what he says and look at how he behaves or look at what she says and look at how she reacts when, when people talk about Jesus. But God can use that person too and he can transform lives. Yeah. And for me, that's a really important one. And now that I've said my first one, the second one's jolly well gone from my brain. <laughs> but I'm sure that um, I'll think of it while perhaps Helen or Harvey share something. I think in adding to what you what you said, um, Stephen, that we may have committed various mistakes in the past, as Saul did, and ours may be different, but, but it's time now to start a new journey, isn't it? Mm. Start a new journey with the Lord. And I read this statement. It said, the story of Paul teaches us that no matter how bad we've been in the past, God is able to create us anew and to empower us to accomplish great spiritual tasks. As he chose Paul, God is still able to choose us as instruments for his cause in this generation. And I think in finishing, I'd like to say God loves sinners. Mm. You know, when Paul gave his life to the Lord, he never looked back. Mm. And I believe that's the same for us. It was not easy. God didn't promise him a bed of roses, but he promised to be with him always. Mm. Yeah. And he's doing that for each one of us now. Harvey? Yeah. It's interesting that uh, we should understand when we come to the Lord that he can use us, no matter how humble we may be. We should never get to the point like Simon was, where he wanted to buy the Holy Spirit because he wanted to be able to use the Holy Spirit. Mm. We should be humble and willing to be used by the Holy Spirit. Reminds me of a story about a couple of village idiots who were responsible for bringing at least 40 people to the Lord. And they, they couldn't speak logically, but they simply prayed with people and brought this many people to the Lord. Listeners, we've reached the end today. We'd love to go on, but um, time doesn't allow. So, Len, Len, can I just add one more thing? Sorry. I'm sorry yes. about that. The thought came into my head. In Parliament, sometimes there'll be someone which will cross over to the other side because of their belief mm. in a particular law that's coming up or bill. And I believe that that was the story of Saul. He crossed over from being on Satan's ground to God's ground. And I think it's time for us to cross over. He jumped ship. Yeah. 
Anyhow, we are thankful that you've tuned in today and we hope that you've benefited from this study. We would all like to say goodbye and God's blessings. God bless.